Yes, hello folks, welcome to a very special episode of the We Are United podcast. I'm delighted to be joined with the excellent John Ludden, Manchester United author. As the anniversary of Munich approaches, John has released a Manchester United anthology, a book, Munich and the Flowers of Manchester. We're going to talk about John's book, some of the fantastic anecdotes out of there. I know a lot of the stuff about Munich has been covered in depth before, but there's lots of other anecdotes in here and things about Munich that I wasn't aware of that are particularly interesting. I'm delighted to be joined with John to talk about those uh, and to talk about other things that are in this book that I highly recommend that you can find on Amazon. And John can tell us what other outlets you can find this book on. John, first of all, how are you doing? I'm good, Phil. It's good to speak to you again, mate. Always a pleasure, mate. Always a pleasure. How's life treating you? It's that time of the year, isn't it? It's like January, the, two, the 234th of January. It's just going yeah. on and on. It's... It's uh, it's a long month. It's never a good month as well because no one's got any money, so no one's got to keep going, aren't you? It's uh, John, I think it's uh, the, the the reality for a lot of people in the world right now. Um, a lot of people are lying awake at night worrying how they're going to pay bills, and a lot of people uh, struggling with life at the minute. So, um, I know that's a reality for a lot of people. So, hopefully. Things improved this year. Uh, John, but John talked about, of course, this book and some of the fantastic information. And it, I will post a link to where people can get this book upon yes, completion really. of this interview. But as per usual, it's exceptionally well researched. It's exceptionally well done. And uh, this is a long read. I suggest you sit down and do this. Um, uh, it's something that is extremely interesting because, John, when we look at Manchester United in the present, and United's identity in the present. So much of that has been shaped by what happened at events like Munich and other major events in Manchester United's history. And a lot of these stories get told, but some of the stories that don't get told and don't get told enough that are relevant to how this happened, which we're going to talk about in here. Uh, for some reason, some of these details, I don't know if they're deliberately omitted, but... Um, it definitely has a causal relationship for me for what happened at Munich. So much to talk about, my friend. Um, John, tell me, what was your experience like writing this book? Uh, you must have spoken to a lot of people, done a lot of research, and how would you describe it? Well, like I say, it's an anthology, Phil. It's stuff that I've written about Munich over the years. I thought it's time I put it all together and try and tell the entire story, you know, from where the babes began to Munich, what happened after Munich, the immediate aftermath, but also to get other people's feelings and thoughts about the uh, about the Busby Babes in Munich. It's like, there's, in the end, there's over 100. I think you put one in yourself, didn't you, mate? I did, and yes. The, the wonderful stuff, all ages. Absolutely, I mean, the people who actually seen the babes, whose dad talks about the babes, who's, there's some astonishing stories in there. And every and not just it's not just the Manchester thing, Phil. We know that, don't we? Have these these three lads from Syria who sent me three wonderful pieces, uh, and they're 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 as good as anything. Heartrending stuff. And like you say, with Munich, I think everything that comes from Munich it was not was literally the beginning of the Manchester United that we know today. And I mean, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No. Go ahead, mate. No, you're absolutely right, John. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when I was thinking about writing that piece for you um, about how the present moment defines the past and how Munich is 
obviously an event that completely changed the lives of the people that survived it even. Uh, I often wonder how they found the mental strength to deal with life going forward. We'll we'll talk about, we'll put Matt Busby's accomplishment into context because I think that it's absolutely incredible um, in comparison to many other sporting accomplishments. And Bias John, I honestly think what Matt Busby did for many, many different reasons, winning the European Cup just a decade after Munich, is arguably one of the greatest sporting accomplishments of all time and how he did it. Um, We'll talk about that. But in terms of more metaphorical meanings of Munich, people go through different things in their life. They go through different tests in their life and they have inner dialogue as to whether they have the ability, the strength of character, the resilience to overcome certain things that they're faced with. And oftentimes to do that, to have confidence and belief that you can overcome personal tragedy in life. You look for other examples of how people that have had to deal with things that at the time seemed insurmountable, it seemed impossible to deal with them. One of those things was the Busby Babes and the incredible human stories and the resilience of the human spirit to overcome stuff that would seem impossible. And I think in many ways there's um, an example in that where you can take inspiration from that in your own life and say, look, if Sir Matt Busby, who was read the last rites twice, can climb off his deathbed and rebuild a football club despite having a broken heart, a broken soul, then I can also find a resilience strength in my own life. It's there if I dig deep enough. And for a lot of people, uh, United fans all across the world, Munich has, has, has given some people that inspiration. You see, you know, the song, Phil, that Busby Babes will never die. Well, in, in a way, they haven't because they kept, yes. they kept 66 years, 66 seasons now. And I think they're as more relevant today as as there's ever been. And people tend to forget this was Busby's second great team. I mean, his first team was war veterans and they won the cup in 1948 and they won the league in 1951. But Busby, 52, Busby and Jimmy Murphy as well, he's, you know, he's another who stands up there with, with Sir Matt. They wanted to do it their own way. Phil, they, it had mm-hmm. never been done before. They wanted to do with their own, like you say, their own apples, their own kids. And they, they watched the Hungarians destroy England in 53 at Wembley 6-3 with a pass and move game. Yeah, And it, it had never been seen. And they wanted their lads to play this way. But basically what it was, they wanted to bond them. They wanted to bring them through together. I mean, even to the case where in the very early 50s, Jimmy Murphy took Duncan Edwards and Wilf McGuinness away on a family holiday. And they were both England youth schoolboy captains a couple of years apart. And they were best mates, but also McGuinness was like, he couldn't get, he'd never get in the team because, well, not in his best position because his Duncan's, was his position. It was never going to happen. So Busby and Murphy had this plan about a bonding thing, even at that stage. They yeah. went away together. They become the best of friends. That never become a problem. They did the same thing with the Youth Cup, Phil. They won it the first five years on the run. And all these kids come through together, even to the extent which was unheard of at that time. They was getting in the first team at 17, 18, 19. I mean, that, this is just incredible. And they had the... Uh, there's this tournament in Switzerland called the Blue Star Tournament where the best young teams 
of Germany, Spain, Italy, they go and United took. Busby and Murphy went with the kids because they knew this European Cup was coming. And even though these kids, were, some of them was in the first team by then, Roger Byrne and people like this, they wanted to give them the experience of playing against these, the Germans with their style, the Spanish, the Italians with Catinaccio. And it was just, it was all a way of bonding. So that the, the the years that they was in the youth team, then they came into the first team together. When the European Cup happened, it wasn't like another planet. You know, they'd already played against these foreign players at the time. And it was just, it was just, it had never been done before. And then these kids come into the team, they win the league, uh, they won the league twice. And the world was at their feet, Phil, that, you know, this country had never seen anything like, they, nobody had ever seen anything like them. It was just incredible. And, sorry, mate, was you... So I was going to say, so when you talk about pioneers, John, we, we talk about Pep Guardiola in modern parlance as someone yeah. that has shaped football in a certain way, that has brought new ideas, that has improved the game, that has brought a certain philosophy to the game, that has left an impact even if they were to disappear. And there's been coaches throughout history that have done that, that have brought pioneering ideas. So Matt Busby doesn't get talked about enough in this regard. We often talk today about the greatest ever, the GOAT, and for some reason, some might get excluded from this. The European Cup was brought about in 55. Of course, uh, the FA, Alan Hardiger, did not want English clubs to play in this competition. That would have meant that Chelsea played. I believe they won the league. In, uh, they would have been the first European Cup representatives did not get to play. United, of course, won in 56. Dan Sermat, um, he is, of course, one of the pioneers about bringing English football clubs into Europe and expanding um, the, 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 the whole horizons of English football and not just making a domestic competition. So when you talk about the impact that one particular guy has had on shaping the whole direction of English football today, because, of course, European competition is so important, uh, and then to talk about the principles and ideas that he brought in '45 when he comes to United from the army uh, after turning down Liverpool, and 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 revolutionising Manchester United to prioritise the youth team to play in a certain way to play football on the ground, um, which was even contentious up until the early '90s in England, where you still had Charlie Hughes at the FA. We want long ball football. He was doing this playing football on the ground using young players through the academy and of course by being a pioneer and playing in, in, in the European Cup way before uh, he, he, uh, anyone's time he should, doesn't get just recognition in my opinion Well they talk about this ticky-tack of football Phil, I mean United played that as if they was on speed it was a totally different it was past the ball to a red shirt move past the ball to a red shirt move it was just it, it wasn't a system it wasn't a, a way of playing that, that that had been seen in england and again i i think this comes from when they saw the hungarians in 53 they wanted to play in a uh in a, they wanted to win things in a different way like you say a pioneer you know the babes has never been seen a team coming through together like that had never been seen, never been seen before. And when they entered the European Cup, I mean, they literally they were blowing teams away at first. They beat, they went away to Anderlecht in the first game. They won two 0 
uh, there's players called back from national service. I mean, people forget this was just a few years after the war. You know, Manchester still had rationing. The city had been blitzed, you know, and then these kids come along and it was just like, I, I mean, they always say about Manchester, don't they? The, the poking chimneys in the 50s and the grimy skies. And then you got mm. a dash of, you got a dash of red with these lads. Because where else do you see, where else did they see colours apart from a football match proper when you, you always get the impression back then everything was drab and grey, everybody dressed in the same kind of way. And then you go and see these lads at the weekend with the bright red shirts and the way they were playing. And then, like you say, Europe comes along, they beat Anderlecht, then they get them, they play them, play them again at Main Road because Old Trafford still didn't have the floodlights. Beat them 10-0. 10-0. Nope. Still, you need a record win in Europe. Um, John, they did talk about um, what happens in Munich because, as usual, there's parts of the story that are relative to why United had these uh, aborted takeoffs, why they tried to take off. Um, one of those is United had played Dukla Prague and um, they wanted to come back. Uh, there was a lot of fog. They ended up having to fly to Amsterdam, take the boat, uh, then uh, back to England. And they ended up drawing 3-3 with Birmingham City and blamed the exhausting travel on that result. Is that correct? Yeah, that's when Busby said never again they were going to hire their own plane. So this is when they got the the one, literally, that flew them to Munich. And the this same plane had been used by the Queen before the Queen the year before. So Busby and Murphy obviously thought it was good enough for her. You know, it's good enough for us because they just couldn't afford to be late. Batfield, because Ardaker was watching everything. He was desperate to get back at Busby because like Busby had the, had the balls basically to tell him where to go when he said, we can't play in Europe. He said, you can't tell Manchester United what to do. And well, the other part of that, John, was that the DFA had put a, a a mandate that clubs had to be back in the country 48 hours before the next fixture. Yeah. Would put United under enormous pressure to to uh, of course make sure um, you know that they uh, that that flight took place. Well, this was it. I mean, every time they went away, Phil, they, as soon as the game was finished, they they just had to get home because otherwise they'd be got the points. And it was just, a, it was a personal, I think it's, well, when you read it, it was a personal vendetta with Ardacre. And I think it's in the genes, right? because even today, or under Ferguson's time, we never got nothing off him. But there was even a case after Munich where they took Bobby Charlton off us for two meaningless friendlies when we was in the European Cup semi-final, and they never played him. Why so do you think just... that detail gets left out, John? Why do you think that, because it very rarely gets mentioned about the 48-hour mandate, why do you yeah. think that often gets omitted from the commentary? I just think, well, it, it was different times as well, on it, Phil? I mean, look at Marcus Rashford, Rashford, 45 minutes on a plane to Belfast. That's today, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, these days, back, back in the 50s, air travel... You know, it was still relatively, it wasn't new, but it was, for football teams, it was to get around. And it was just, it was just so difficult because Busby, in the back of his mind all the time, must have thought they're waiting for me. You know, first chance I get, they're, they're going to, you know, there was many, there was many a times, mate, the, the athletic 
Bilbao game away when he got beat 5-3 in the quarter-final at the European Cup that year. Uh, they were saying that it had been snowing, it was just like a bash storm, and they had to get home. So in the end, the captain said to Busby, if we're gonna get off the, if we're gonna get off the ground, your own players and all the press lads are gonna have to help me get the snow off the wings. So this is what they did. Even the players were helping to get the snow, get the plane off the ground, you know, to get back to England. Everything was always just on the edge, just on the brink. And it wasn't like anybody knew Munich was coming. Now that, that that's ridiculous, but you know, it was it wasn't a straightforward just get on a plane and come home. Another detail that um, sometimes I, 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 it took me a while to learn um, was that uh, the, the flight was delayed an hour to take off because Danny Barry lost his passport. Uh, it also seems like there's strange details that contributed to this in some way, but um, is, is, that a, is, is that correct to say that he lost his passport and that the flight was delayed originally an hour out of Munich? To be honest, Phil, that's the first time. You see, there's a lot of myths and legends about Munich, and I, I've never personally, I've never heard that. So I, yeah, I, so when I was researching for this podcast, I was reading about yeah. the fact that he had lost his passport, which delayed the flight for an hour. What was also interesting was um, I know Johnny Johnny Berry uh, lost his in Belgrade coming home. So what they were, uh, perhaps it was Belgrade, maybe we got that wrong, but yeah, there was also think... starting to have premonitions, John, um, after the second aborted takeoff, um, you had Duncan Edwards, of course, had sent a telegram home, saying all flights cancelled uh, back tomorrow, but there was other people that were starting to say things like, if this is to be death, you know, um, I, I, I was reading some of Bill Whelan, if this is death, I'm ready. Um, there's uh, people, Tommy Taylor, um, Eddie Coleman, Frank Swift. They went to the back of the plane because they thought it was safer. Um, players, it was fair to say by the time they were getting ready to take off on the third attempt, uh, there wasn't confidence that everything was okay. Well, I think it was as well, Phil. It was still in the age where if the boss said something, you did it. I'm, I'm pretty convinced none of them players wanted to get back on that plane that third time. But they were told, and in those days, you did what you you did what you was told, and they got back on the plane. Harry Gregg talks about this in his book. He was just like, it's just incredible. They, they just didn't want, they didn't fancy getting on that plane because the first, the second one, the second time they tried to go, scared them to death, absolutely scared them to death. But they they went back, and again, we keep going back to this. Phil, I think it was Busby. They were playing. Wolverhampton Wanderers on the Saturday at Old Trafford and it was a top of the table game it was one United had to win it's one they had to get mm. home for and again I think Busby had that in the back of his head as well but he must have been told somewhere along the line that the captain or whoever that it's okay you know because no he Busby didn't have a death wish he didn't want to get on a plane that was going to you know career through a runway I mean, John, I want to put this into context. So this happens. Um, and, of course, you're talking about exceptional young players that had they have survived, there's no doubt United would be sitting on more three European Cups, more uh, league titles. I, 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 Duncan Edwards is someone that's often talked about. Uh, that often gets overlooked in the conversation when we're talking about icons of the game because, of course, his potential was cut off so 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 early. 
And for United fans, United fans are well aware of his potential. I think Bobby Charlton said he was the best player he'd ever played with, which is some compliment. Had Duncan Edwards have survived, would we be talking about Duncan Edwards in the same way we're talking about Pushkas, in the same way we talk about Eusebio, Best, you know, the, the great legends of the game of that era? Do you think that uh, he would be in that conversation? Everybody I spoke to, Phil, has seen him play live. They just they find it hard to just tell you just how good he was. Left foot, right foot, great in the air. Uh, they Busby had put him up front when they needed a goal. He put him at the back. It sounds like Ryder Rovers, but it was true. He put him at the back when United was under pressure. And, yeah, I th- I'm, I'm convinced he would have been another couple of years or so. Because if you imagine that United team, Phil, and only three, four years later, best arrived from Belfast. If you look at it, it, the way history went, then you got Dennis Law. So you're looking at a Busby Babes scene with Best Law and Charlton. And maybe the one or two of them might have gone. But it's just the tragedy of it all feels that these young lads, they had everything to live for because they they come through the team together. The first time the youth t- team got beat was in 58 after the crash. They got knocked out in the semi-final. And the main reason being that the best player, the centre forward, Colin Webster, had been took into the first team and he scored a hat-trick to get the first team to Wembley against Fulham in the semi-final of the FA Cup. But these lads, they go out in Manchester together. They, they yeah. were fearless. They, they, they didn't have families to worry about. They had a couple of quid in the pocket. They had the trils, trilbies on. They had the smart suits, the smart haircuts. They had all the girls after him. And they thought they'd live forever. I mean, could you imagine? It'd be like a, imagine a Frank Sinatra film in the 50s. And the, these lads were the main characters. You know, they, they had a swagger about him. Everybody loved him. Everybody. All the all the clubs, the cafe bars, and it, it was just, they had everything to live for. And then suddenly the sky's falling, Munich, and it, it's all over. This is always the tragedy of, of this is that what uh, all the counterfactuals would have been, what would we have, what would they have done, what would they have gone to accomplish and their impact on football beyond human tragedy, of course, because we know about the players that died. But I often wonder how the people that lived through that found the resilience to carry on. In today's era, John, we'd be talking about mental health, we'd be talking about PTSD, we'd be talking about trauma. For any manager of any football team at any level, if one of your players is to die, it makes it extremely difficult to carry on because nothing is the same. And I wonder when Sermat obviously becomes aware of the tragedy and no one would have blamed him had he have decided at that moment he didn't want to carry on. Uh, He somehow lifts himself off his deathbed and wins the European Cup within 10 years, doing it in a way that was almost identical to how he did in 58. Now, just to put that into context, Abu Dhabi bought City in 2009. They didn't win the European Cup till 2023. So 14 years later, billions of pounds later, they finally accomplished it. Somehow, some Mad Boys beat Bobby Charlton, you know, other players, um, that they were able to overcome their own personal grief, their own personal trauma, which must have been 
I mean, I mean, you know, unquantifiable to still become European champions. Had Sermat not have got, not have continued, John, think about what we would have been deprived of. We would have been deprived of the 68 European Cup and that incredible team that he was to build. Um, it's truly remarkable human story. See, the thing is as well, Phil, they didn't get back into the European Cup till 1965. So it, it makes it even more incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people tend to forget. I mean, I, this astonishes me. The year after Munich, United finished second. Finished second in the league. It was only the next couple of years where they fell off the cliff. And and then they, George came and Dennis and Paddy Crerin arrived from Celtic. And that was like the heart of the team. And Bobby was playing. And that was the team that then literally dragged them through the 50s. And then there was a slightly ageing team when they got to... They always say the team in 65 was a better team that, that actually won it. Mm. But I think it was written in 68, Phil. I don't think we would have been... I think the guy upstairs had done enough damage. I think we made his mind up that we was going to win that night, whatever whatever happened. But for me, and you listen to the stories, like, it was It was only... It wasn't like... Did achieve they had achieved something wonderful. They'd won the European Cup, but it was like they'd won it for the, for the lads that that were lost. So it was more there was more there was as much sadness I think in the air as as glory because they always say it's a strange kind of glory with United winning that because I know my dad and friends and my dad when they won it in '68, mate, that was it for them. That was it. See you, John. They still followed United, but, you know, that was it. If you look at United after 68, the demise was rapid. Yeah. And you felt like, for a lot of people, there were some demons that were um, that were exorcised. And for a lot of people, that was where United's whole Munich Busby era really started to die because after that, they had won the Holy Grail. They had exercised the ghosts of a decade before and it felt like, okay, where do we go from here? I think energy filled. They talk about when Klopp was Jurgen Klopp was saying the other day, his energy, could you imagine Busby? The energy, and he wasn't a well man after Munich. The energy and what was going on inside his head, like we say about, undoubtedly Busby had PTSD. Of course, he had to have. Yeah, that Charlton. I mean, it Jack Charlton said he said I never seen our Bobby smile again after the crash. And so, so, so few of them, so few of them and actually it, wanted to talk about it, John. I can And of course, this was commensurate with the attitudes at the time where men had a step up. You just up get up with it, yeah. And, but we had to. We know that they had to have been struggling with internal, some inner turmoil. Oh, Phil. You walk away from a plane crash and you think you should be dead, shouldn't you, basically? Everyone should have died in that plane. It was a miracle. Any Anybody survived. And like you say, to think 10 years after, I mean, there was a the Saturday before, mate, before he flew out. I mean, you talk, you talk about fate's strange and uh, United were playing Arsenal playing Arsenal away and the, the night before, the director, George Whitaker. 32 years old, passed away, a heart attack, which meant that the directors couldn't go to Munich 
they couldn't be on the plane because they had to be at the funeral. And there was also a situation with Duncan where we were freeing up at Ivory. We was absolutely wiping the floor with him. And then they make they get it back to 3-3 and he loses his rag. Edwards is going round, he's booting Arsenal players all over the pitch. And the Arsenal captain was a big mate, Welsh captain as well, Dave Bowen, big mate of Jimmy Murphy's. He gets hold of Roger Burney, United captain. He said, you better have a word with your mate over there, otherwise we'll gang up, you know, and he'll be going off on a stretcher. Anyway, it, it, Edwards calmed down, but it's like strange and the fate, you know, if them Arsenal lads would have got stuck in it with him, injured Duncan, he might not have been on the plane. It's, it's incredible. It's, the, these yeah. tiny little, you know, if you turn left, you turn right, it's just strange. One of the things that um, does get mentioned by people who know what they're talking about is the importance of Jimmy Murphy. Why do you talk a bit about Jimmy Murphy, his importance to Manchester United, um, both in the aftermath of Munich, but also in shaping Manchester United and, and who they are today? Well, it's Jimmy Murphy and uh, Tom Curry and the other backroom staff. They were, they were the lads who created the babes. They were the ones who put it put the effort in on the training ground to get them to, they were tough with him, Phil. They were tough with him, but it was tough love. You know, you had to do it, you had to do it in the United way. And they were the boys who created the base, but it was Busby who was like, he just oversaw everything. So that by the time the dressing room at quarter 10 to three, the lads would be sat there and the manager would come in. It was basically, you know what to do today. They'd already knew what to do. They just had to hear the, the words from the boss, you know. But Jimmy, Jimmy Murphy, to, to me, honestly, they, they should rename Old Trafford after him because without Jimmy, they wouldn't be United today. It's as simple as that. I mean, for 13 days after the crash, he did everything to keep United afloat. They wanted to lock the gates. The board mm -hmm. was ready to lock the gates. And I was lucky to read a BBC screenplay, screenplay that was written in 1959 because I'm, I'm friends with the Murphy family. Mm. And Nicky's grandson showed me the scripts, what the BBC sent his dad, BBC Radio sent his dad in 59, that they wanted to do. And these were like, a lot of them were first-hand accounts people who was there, you know, the memories was fresh. And Jimmy told them where to go with it. You know, he wasn't. But they kept the script. They kept the script. And when I did when I did my Jimmy Murphy book, Nicky very kindly gave me the script to read and, and to use. So there was this, the scene in the in the boardroom, I think, which was the only two people to set that screen screenplay out of the house was me and, Don, and David Tennant because he played Jimmy, you know, in the in the movie. Mm -hmm. So they lent it to him as well. And there's the scene in the boardroom where Jimmy just says, "Over oh, my bastard body, you're gonna you're gonna lock them gates." And you said something before about what happened then will define United in the future. They they were Jimmy's words. They were Jimmy's actual words. He says it's more important now than it's ever been that United go on. And yeah. he went he went to the funerals, he built that team up. Uh they played Sheffield Wednesday two two weeks later, and I think it was the 19th of February at Old Trafford at fifth round. He had a scratch team. He brought two he brought Ernie Taylor in from Blackpool, who's who's a submarine guy in the war. So he was, you know, he had a uh, he knew he knew pressure. And there's a guy from Aston Villa called Stan Crowther, who Busby and Murphy 
they both respected because Aston Villa had beat us the year before in the FA Cup final, and he 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 was a niggly sod. He was a, he was a Jimmy Murphy more type player than he was Busby, but Murphy thought he'd be perfect for this United team, and and he signed him. Phil, he signed him on the actual day of the game, on the, and the football league for once done us a favour. They wavered the rule, you know, where if you played in the FA Cup, but Crowther didn't want to come. And it was only the, his manager, Eric Out, and he, he wanted to help Jimmy out because he was a big mate of Jimmy's. He talked to him and he said, just come to the game at Old Trafford and then we'll have a chat about it after the game. But what he didn't know was that Crow, uh, Out and had put Crowther's boots in the boot of the car when they travelled down to Manchester because he knew that as soon as Jimmy got older, Crowther, that was it. He was going to sign for United. And he did. And he did. And he arrived, he arrived at Old Trafford with Jimmy I think it was 10 past seven, kicked off at half seven in the dressing room with his boots. And it's basically, lads, this is Stan Crowder who's going to be playing for us tonight. And that was how, it was like, it was a movie that Hollywood had just said, we're not having this. Yeah. And United went out and they won 3-0. What do we know about the grief of the people that survived in the aftermath, John? Because there's some harrowing stories about players, players' funerals or in, uh, the wake, the players' wake. What do we know about um, the grief of those that survived? Oh, it was awful. Uh, Eddie Coleman. I mean, it was Jimmy who telephoned his dad to say that, he, you know, that he was one of those that had been killed. And they found his dad, his dad just walked out the house in his pyjamas and they found him wandering around Piccadilly about four hours later, Jesus. crying his eyes out. Uh, There's so many stories. One of your lads, Liam Whelan, like he said he, he was he was ready to die. And his, his mum said something similar to Jimmy. When Jimmy got older, she didn't have a phone. They had to ring. Jimmy had to get older to someone over there to, who knew somebody in the street to get his mum to come and answer the phone. And she just said, he's with the angels now. You know, this, this stuff. Uh, Roger Byrne, uh, his missus said to Jimmy, he says, he's been in three crashes in the last 12 months. He's crashed the car, he's crashed the motorbike, and now he's got himself killed in a plane crash and she was pregnant. Imagine what that must have been. Oh, Jeff Bent. Jeff Bent didn't even know. He was going to Munich on the Sunday after the beforehand. He was in the pub with his mates in Earlham and the Heights, and he gets a call. He says, because of injuries, uh, you're going to Munich. And that was it. Jeff was killed. Yeah, see, this is the part that um, is very difficult to quantify, is that how do you deal with the aftermath? Because uh, grief in the aftermath is something that... Um, it's very difficult, especially at that time where it didn't get talked about. It's very difficult to actually quantify. Um, and this is why I go back to what I said about Sir Matt Busby, in my opinion, United's greatest ever manager. And I say that with all respect to Ferguson, but I think, I, what agree with you. I think what Sir Matt had to overcome is absolutely monumental. Um, let me ask you about uh, in the aftermath, because obviously the aftermath becomes very difficult uh, to get this right. How do you feel United handled this in the aftermath? And uh, how do you feel that, did you, do you feel that they did, uh, did an adequate job looking after the families? Well, yeah, you hear the stories that they didn't know they was taking clubhouses back off him. But 
again, these were different times, Phil. I keep saying it's only like it was a war generation. And the, the way United, I mean, Busby said in later years that they handled it rotten, but it was too late then. It was too late. I just don't think they really knew how to, how, how to deal with it. I don't think it was a case they were, they were, uh, they were cruel on these people. They, they was cruel, but I think the crash had also left United horribly. Uh, they, wasn't, they wasn't insured for the crash, so they were basically, they were, they were skinned. They didn't have a penny, two pennies to rub together. And I think it was a case... We've just got to carry on. And I think the way they treated people was wrong. Some of the, the players and the players, the players said years later, the way they treated was disgusting. But the thing is, I think it was a case of just don't look back because if, if they just had to, they just had to get going. They just had to stay, stay alive. And I think it was casualties and the, the attitude and the way people, like you say, the way people were treated. It was. It wasn't right. I mean, Jimmy Murphy and Samat were never the same after Munich. They were never you think Samat bears any responsibility for how uh, the club handled it in the aftermath? I think Busby carried everything in his head, which is like what you were saying: is his achievement to win the European Cup in ten years, because he must have been tortured getting back on that plane for the third time. The thought of him, and he, he said it himself, there's an interview with Parkinson in the early 70s, which you can catch on YouTube. He says, we shouldn't have gone it. We just shouldn't have gone it. But it, it was just, it's a, it was the times. Well, it's a different world, wasn't it, when you think, you know. But I, I just think, like we were saying, that the 10 years, I mean, Bess was like, we talked about a red dash of sunlight. He was like, an angel from the heavens coming to United because he was something different. After all the darkness of Munich, you suddenly have George. And before that, we got Dennis. You know, but it, it's only like, again, it's only even them years, 62, 63, we won the Cup in City. They won the FA Cup five years on from Munich, losing the team. Now that's another astonishing achievement. Yeah, 63 Cup final. Um if you were to, how is the appropriate way to commemorate Munich today? Because we um, often see, obviously, with social media, John, um, yeah. there's a lot of people that, uh, in my opinion, don't do this the right way. Um, and uh, there's a there's an appropriate, respectful way to do it. Unfortunately, we are, are, uh, our owners don't like to participate in this. But what is the respectful way to do it? Because I often see a lot of debate and discussion about this, about... Um, it's not. It, I mean, Tarek Ten Hag didn't show up for the Munich Memorial last season, which I didn't appreciate. But um, there's a difference of opinion about how it should be commemorated today. What is the right way to do it? I think the way it's handled over at Munich, I think is is wonderful. The lads, is it the MMF who set all that up? And um, by Munich got involved mm. and with Red Star Belgrade. That's wonderful, but. I think United try, and I think they've still got a modicum because of some people who work there for time memorial. They won't let them forget what it means to people, you know. Has it become? But I, I think they have to be pushed into doing certain things. So, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, um, has it become a bit too uh, gimmicky in a way, uh, where it's not done in a way that, 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 that is not done in a way that's respectful, where people feel like. Um, this is almost 
I don't want to say branding, but it almost feels in some way where it, it, it's become a bit too much of a public spectacle and it's not done in a private way. There's a lot of debate about over how this should be done. People, you know, don't be uploading videos to social media when, when you're going to Munich memorials um, and they've become more about a branding exercise than actually um, a, a respectful commemoration. Um, I've heard, I've, I've obviously, this, I've, I've read this quite a bit amongst United fans about what the right way to do it is. I think it's just the world we live in now, Phil. Honestly, I think it's just, it, you're not going to get, I, personally, my opinion is just, you just respect it in your, in your own personal way, you know, on, the, on that day, that time. You know. Have United you, done enough, John, with the, I mean, we have the whole eternity. Um, I think um, they try, I, Phil. I think they try, but sometimes I think there's too many people there just don't get it, you know, in commanding positions. I mean, you go back, uh, you go back to when Samat died. I thought that was wonderful. You know, Old Trafford mm -hmm. when the Piper came out, and I mean with Sabobe, but they did the same thing. But I don't know. I just we, we live in different we live in different times now, and social media and, and all that business. You you're never gonna get. You know, it's just I guess again, it's a different world, mate. I think you should just respect Munich in your own way. I mean, what I just. The stories I've been told of my dad, of, of his mates, of people I know who saw him play. And even now when they talk about it, you can see it in their eyes, you know, there's something. And that that's something, I'm not saying it's a dying generation, but it's it must be so still so hard for them. Because people, they talk about it now and it's like, like a matter of this, a matter of fact, this, 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 he died, they died. But they were living and breathing footballers to them. It was, it'd be like our treble. Can you imagine our treble team in 99 in a plane crash and losing eight players? But that's what I was going to ask you. Give me an idea of what you think. Let's say this plane crash doesn't happen. Are we talking about a United team that has an era of domination similar to what Real Madrid had where you needed that good? Where, where, are we talking about there would have been two, three, four, maybe European Cups, uh, multiple league titles? How good was that team and what do you think we missed out on? I think we'd have won it a lot sooner than what we did. Uh, I don't think we were... I mean, people tend to forget that Real Madrid that knocked us out in 57. Yeah. Well, that summer they signed Puskas. Yeah. So for the next three years, it would have been, I think it had been them and United going for it because you look around in Europe, there was there was still good top side. Red Star Belgrade were a fantastic team. Inter Milan was a great team. But United was up there. You, you know, United was as good as any of them. And that, that Madrid team, 58, they won it for the fifth time in 1960, you know, the famous 7-3 at Eintracht. Well, mm -hmm. that team was ageing. I think United would have caught them. And I think if they won it once, they would have been very, very... They could have won it again once or twice, three times. You think 68? You think 68 happens at 58? doesn't happen the way it does. What do you mean if... I mean, like if maybe if you need to win the European Cup 58, have three, four, five years of domination, yeah. so Matt Bosby's not there, uh, the course of history... It takes a different path where oh, yeah. 68 doesn't happen, and because I think that's the symmetry between 58 and 68 is undeniable. I think part of the reason why 68 happened was because you know they were so determined to lay the ghost of 58, it was so important for them. 
Um, I just wonder, because if you look at how quickly United got relegated from 68, you know, and how, and, and, and how quickly that demise happens, and this happens a lot, where you have great teams that reach a pinnacle. I mean, we, we've seen this throughout history. Uh, and once a certain accomplishment is made, then everything changes after that. I just wonder if 58 hadn't happened, if 68 would have worked out, we had taken a completely different historical path. Well, I think the way United was set up, they were set up at 58, the, the kids were still coming through and Busby wasn't, he wasn't worried if they needed a top player, he'd go out and get it. So this 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 could easily have continued on with, as history says, Georgie coming in, Dennis, Paddy, and then you look at that United team that could have gone on careering through the 60s. You know, they, 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 like I said, he could have won a couple of European Cups. They could have swept the leagues. It's it's the big if. Anyway, it's the big if. It's just, it's so sad, really, when you when yeah. when you think it's. Uh, but it, it's a fantastic conversation to have. But I, I do think they did a, did a clean a couple of European Cups, and like you say about sixty eight, Phil. I mean, it was in the air. It was feeling a job done. And six years, 68, six years later, we'd gone down because I, I think it was a case that they thought, that's it now. It's yep. all over, we've done it. Let me uh, ask you in this anthology, you know, this is a compilation of lots of different stories that you've told over the years about Munich and what have you. What was your favourite part about this book? I loved the, uh, the Real Madrid semi-final 1968, you know, the second leg. Uh, there, there's no team helps us out after Munich more than, than Real Madrid. Mm -hmm. I mean, they played us five or six times in friendlies for basically... Uh, that, that came about because Busby and their president was really good friends. It's a friendship that started the first time we played them. And their president, Bernabeu, after the first game, he beat us 3-1, but after the game, he gave all the United players in the backroom staff, give them all solid gold watches. Mm. This is 1957. You know, and it was like it was a friendship that over the years uh, just they just grew closer and closer. And United played them five or six times in friendlies, and then come '68, who's the team we get drawn against in the semi-final to get to Wembley to, you know, to try and win the European Cup? It was Real Madrid, the team that had helped us more than any. So we beat them one nil. We beat them one nil at Old Trafford, but there's nothing in it. There's nothing in it. George, George scores. We go over there. And at half time, we're just getting absolutely murdered. We're getting battered three yeah. one, and in the end, we get it. We get it back to three three. But the guy who scores the goal that takes us to Wembley is Bill Folks, who staggered out of the plane crash. He just Hollywood had turned to say, "Well, we're not having this. It's ridiculous." You know, we'll do another Avengers movie. It, it just defies belief. The entire story, them ten years, it's just simply. The stuff of it's not stuff of dreams is not the word, but it's just crazy, mate. Yes, crazy it is really, uh, the way it all come together. And when United won against Benfica in the final, first telegraph waiting for him in the dressing room was from Madrid of the president. Congratulations from your friends in Madrid. Yes, it often gets forgotten how much uh, clubs like Real Madrid really did help United in the aftermath of Munich. Um, 
Don, there's a million stories in this book that um, many of them I have never heard before, such as you know the gold watch story. Um, there's lots of things in there that is United Fund that is of tremendous value that is captivating, fascinating reading. Um, I highly suggest if you're a United Fund, you go out and get this. I'm working my way through it. It is extremely interesting. And like I said, there's so many anecdotal details in this that are relevant to the whole story that I never knew. It's the Harry Gregg story, Phil. Yes, a Harry Gregg story. Even the English FA, Mountain United, have to be in the country 48 hours before a fixture often gets left out, which is a very relevant detail. Lots of other things. The Johnny Barry thing, um, lots of other um, things that don't get told. I mean, Jimmy Murphy has never been given, in my opinion, due credit in United's history um, as someone that, in my opinion, stands shoulder to shoulder with anyone who's a legend in Manchester United and who's been canonised in United's history that Jimmy Murphy hasn't been given that respect. And it's important that people are aware of that um, because uh, I think United probably could do more to commemorate Jimmy. And as you quite rightly say, maybe even if it's named Old Trafford or a, a statue outside or, or some, some in some sense to make sure he is commemorated properly. Well, he's, um, he's, he's got the statue. The statue's there now, Phil. Finally, oh, but the thing is, with United, but they just put the statue up. But the absolutely, statue, mate. Yeah. The statue was long, long overdue. Absolutely, and, um, you know that was. Um, but there's a me, myth. There's a myth with United. There's the history of the official history of United. Then there's the the reality. The reality was when he when he got, when they got rid of Jimmy. What this to, to try and get rid of Jimmy to get him to leave? He used to get a used to put on a taxi for him every day from his house. Took his taxi off him. This was in the early seventies. Yeah, and so what know, Jimmy did then? He there's a train station nearby, and the lads knew him. He was a United fan. They were United fans. Just like get on the train. Come on. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's uh, it, it, I mean, it's just there are certain things that United should be embarrassed about, and the fact that um. You know, United didn't build a statue for Jimmy until 2023, of course, last year, but it um, it took way, way too long. Totally agree. I don't think that he gets legitimate credit when it comes to... um, I mean, there's there's lots of other uh, figures in United's history. They often get forgotten, James Gibson and others, that don't get legitimate credit for where United are and the fact that um, these people um, are the main reason why United are... They are today, John. There's so much in this book that I still yet to get through. Uh, if you're a United fan, I highly suggest you, you, you get this book. Uh, there's amazing content in it, as always. And, um, you know, as United fan, there's so many parts of this that uh are both tragic. It's the Harry Craig story, mate, uh, which I found was one of the most fascinating. Uh, when he wakes which up, I never knew about the night what? before Busby's oh. funeral. Uh, what, 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 I, I, what, uh, tell me a, st- a story, John. Well, what happened is it was the night before. It was the night before his his funeral, and you know it's like the Irish tradition to keep the coffin mm-hmm. in the house. Yes. Well, she, Sheena, his daughter, was in. And late on, she gets a knock on the door, and it's Harry Gregg. He flew over from Ireland that same day, and he said, "Would you mind if I stay with the boss for a bit?" And he ended up sitting by the coffin all night. And he was telling Sheena stuff that happened at Munich that he'd never told anybody. That it was Busby that he didn't insist that he went back in the plane. But, you know, he said, come on, Bill, you know, 
because it, it's the same old thing again. When the boss tells you to do something, you do it. You do it. And yeah, Harry sat with him all night. Especially at a time where a lot of these men were uh, in the war. And um, of course, that was the thing that you did. You followed instruction, you did what you were told. And, um, uh, you know, so Matt, of course, came from United from the army and uh, turned down Liverpool to come to Manchester United. And of course, that was the respect that you had for authority back then, as you did what you were told. Um, you know, you just did, I don't want to in any way denigrate modern players but when i see players that um don't want to play because they have a slight tweak in their hamstring or because there's they don't want to play through a pain barrier when they're in pain or they don't want to apologize to their manager they don't want to do certain things i think about what these players did when they claimed out of an airplane and uh in some sense playing within uh, I mean, Harry Gray played against uh, Sheffield Wednesday, didn't he? In the immediate aftermath, yeah. after that, I mean, that's yeah. just absolutely unbelievable to think what these people went through. Um, and people uh, like Wilf McGuinness yeah. as well. He, he, his best mates were killed in the crash, and the season after for United, he was playing. He was playing for them, and he wasn't fit. He was, he'd had a broken leg, but he forced himself to play because his son Paul was telling us he says all he could see was his mates who died. No, it's so just was, incredible. There's all these stories, mate. Nobby Styles at 68, the semi final in Madrid. He got himself involved in a right scrap with the Real Madrid centre forward, Spadella, and he caught Nobby on the knee, smashed his knee, and at half time, he's got blood pouring from his knee, and the po he's pouring whiskey on it. <laughs> he's pouring whiskey on his knee, and he went out in the second half, and the first thing he did, he went looking. <laughs> The referee pulled him and Spadella together in the tunnel and says, right, I've seen enough because they've been knocking holes out of each other all through the first half. Mm -hmm. No more. And they're both like, yes, ref, yes, ref. First chance Spadella gets, he goes to try and finish Nobby off with his knee. Mm -hmm. Misses. Nobby noticed the referee's got his back to him, smashes him, knocks him out flat on the floor. Nobody sees it. The crowd are going mad. They're throwing shoes at him and everything and Spadella's flat out. And that was and that was the game in '68. You could do, you could well, you could get away with it if you were lucky. But El Devil, I think they called Nobby after that. But he just that not the stuffing of literally out of Madrid and United came back and they drew three three and went through to the European Cup. And this is a kid from Colliest. No, no. I mean the stories you hear about Nobby Styles, um, and of course how bad his eyesight was, um, yeah. and again uh, resilience and overcoming adversity. And there's so many stories like that. It, it really is remarkable. And I think that, uh, it, it, as I said, metaphorical for your own life. But this is um, such an interesting anthology that uh, I strongly suggest it bad because there's so many details in there that I guarantee you don't know that are extremely interesting. I will put a link into where you can find it, John, so that uh, people can go ahead and get this on, online. Um, I'm embarrassed to say there's a lot about this I don't know. Uh, I know about all the um, repeated and publicised details, but there's still a lot I don't know that I'm still learning. And that, uh, as we you all know, are, mate. We all yeah. are, honestly. The, the stuff that you find sometimes just comes to you in little tidbits. Yeah. You know, like people who should have been on the plane who, who didn't go. There was there was a Yugoslavian journalist called Raiko Mitic, I think it was, who after the game in Belgrade got friendly with a couple of the players 
he wrote for police politically which is like communist newspaper and he went to a nightclub must be let a few of them go to a nightclub later on and he got talking to tommy taylor and duncan edwards was there there was another lad there i can't remember and they taught that he he made his mind up. He says, I'm going back to Munich. I'm going back to Manchester with these lads. He says, I'm going to do a story from our point of view, you know, from the Yugoslav point of view, watching the Busby Babes in Manchester. That was his idea. So he goes home, gets all his stuff together, thinks I'll just have 10 minutes, oversleeps. By the time he gets to the airport, the plane's gone. Luckiest day of his life. A strange... Uh, serendipitous moments in life that change your whole trajectory and yeah. there's so many stories like this that um, really are incredible I mean just just one one mistake you know, oversleeping completely changes the whole trajectory of your life and of course a lot of these people had survivor's guilt John a lot of these people yeah. felt absolutely horrendous and that's the thing is that even the survivors the people like you know Jimmy Murphy, of course, who who didn't who wasn't there. Um, a lot of these people had survivors' guilt in the aftermath of this. Uh, I just can't imagine what the, the what they had to overcome mentally to be uh, to to rebuild United and thank God that they did because um, as you were quite rightly saying, United wanted to close the gates. That could have been the end of the football club. The fact that it wasn't, we owe so much. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. Like and Jimmy, this is like. Like what you were saying before, you 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 bang on about the the dark side of the cruel side of Munich, the way they treated people. I think this was all down to because they basically didn't have a choice. They didn't know what to do. They just had to keep going. I mean, they didn't really get that much helpful. But you've got all the myths and legends that Liverpool was offering players, not Forest was offering players, but United had better players in reserves. I think uh, John inevitably with any story like this. There's a, there's there's multiple things that are true, and not all of them are pretty. And there's yeah. an old saying: grief and greed are separated by two letters. And once the grief is over, then everyone has an idea of how it should be handled. And I, so, you know, definitely did things wrong, but it's not an easy thing to get right either. And it's very difficult in the modern era to think about what life was like back at that time. We think of United as this multi-billion billion pound football club, you know, giving houses and stuff. It should be, you know, uh, something that should be done without any thought. Back oh, then. logic says, yeah. Phil, United should have been wiped out on that runway. Yeah. Oh, logic. They, they, they carried on and they became what, what we are today. Is yeah. is it's down to people like Busby. It's down to people like Murphy. It's down to Bobby Charlton. Could you imagine what Bobby went through? I I I, I think about that a lot. Killed at Munich. I, I mean, I can't imagine the grief that he had to live with in in, in the subsequent years, and how even winning the European Cup. I mean, think about Sir Bobby. Sixty-six, he wins the World Cup. Sixty-eight, he wins the European Cup. Think about what he would have missed out on if Munich had been the end. And yeah. yet, I imagine those are maybe somewhat perfect victories in the moment where aftermath, where he, they were also tinged with enormous sadness over who wasn't there. Inevitably, that would be the case. Um, but um, I can't imagine. Well, did he have given everything to, to get his mates back, wasn't he? What's that? He'd have given everything to have his mates back. And, you know. and that's the thing, John, what you said, it's his mates. It's not, they're not United players to. And that's what you have to remember for sure, Matt. These weren't Manchester United players. These were kids that he loved. These were yeah. people that he absolutely loved. He'd and, known uh, him since they were 12, 13, 14 years old, mate. All these kids would be around the cliff. 
I mean, how do you grieve for, I, I don't know, the resilience to go on is something that to me is one of the, th the takeaways from this story um, in your own life when you're faced with enormous struggle, your enormous difficulty that you don't think you can overcome the inspiration from stories like this, individual stories of tremendous resilience of being able to overcome adversity. Do you know John, something, Phil? Yeah. Just, sorry, mate, just a quick yeah, one. Yeah. You say about Busby being this gentle, this gentleman. Uh, I think he was obviously a gentleman, but I also think he was hard as stone. Otherwise, I think he'd have crumbled. Well, John, you, you don't know, talk about Ferguson being a hard manager. Well, you don't grow up the way they grew up. And not have that internal resilience. Now, yeah. I to, to be able, I think one of the things that gets often overlooked is the people that are around them, that also go through this with them, that give them the strength to go on. Because they were dealing with, you know, some much wave. They were dealing with things that um, they had to have that. I mean, we see it with Kathy, with with Sir Alex. We see that these are people that had a whole tight family unit. Yeah. that were as resilient as they were. And I think that often gets overlooked about the bur the burden that the families had to endure to get their loved one through that, their you know husband, you know, because to us... It's, you know, it's the stuff you never hear about, isn't it, mate? That's, that's the real heart of the story. And that that's exactly why I'm encouraging people to go out and get this, because the details of what happened, we know. But there's so many stories underneath this, human stories that transcend football identities, transcend allegiances, that you know, even transcend the situation. It's very easy to apply these to your own life. And I think that um that is something that is so inspiring. So and, and if you wanna in some ways keep the legacy of the Busby Babes alive, you can do that by using that in your own life to yeah. overcome adversity. Um but um, I, I want to be mindful of your time, man, because you've been so generous. It's been an hour. I want to thank you sincerely for taking the time to come on and do this. And appreciate the education because there's still a lot that I it's have It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Can we keep going to the end of January? Just say it off. Well, it's been nice, you know, and haven't lost in a while. Very pleasure. No, it's been a pleasure, mate. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank Thanks you, for Absolute pleasure, mate. Take it easy.